Well, it's good to worship together on this Lord's Day. If you're in the gym, we're glad you're here. And if you're online, we're glad that you're here as well with us. And uh, we just love being in God's presence as God's people, especially gathered together. How significant that is. I got to say, over the years that I've been at Fox Valley Church, the staff have come dressed in a lot of ways, but never have they come in their pajamas. <laughs> so we have a pajama party going on with our children in Journeyland, and of course the staff come in their pajamas as well. So makes for an interesting, interesting morning. Well, hey, we've been looking at keeping Christ at the center. That's been our whole series through the Christmas season. This morning is our last message, but just as you saw a moment ago, we've been talking about keeping Christ at the center of our daily lives, especially being on mission. Pastor Brad brought a great message reminding us and stirring our hearts how important it is in our daily lives to stay on mission, that Christ is at the center of what we do. Then we talked about being uh, keeping Christ at the center in light of relationships, and that is an important part. We talked about keeping Christ at the center of our celebrations. We go to these parties, we gather, all these things happening at Christmas time, and we wanted to help people see how do we keep Christ at the center of celebrations. Then we talked about keeping Christ at the center of our generosity. Sometimes people give just because it's year-end giving. Sometimes people give just because it's a tax benefit at a certain level, right? So we look at all these things and we wanted to do was make sure that our giving was coming out of an overflow of our relationship with God and that generosity isn't just about money, but it's about our time, it's about our gifts and being generous as God is generous to us. Then we talked about being or keeping Christ at the center of our worship. Now that may sound really odd, right? You think, well, who else are you worshiping? Well, the point is it's real easy to go through the motions even in worship. But this morning we want to press into a new direction, keeping Christ at the center of our hospitality of our hospitality. That is, as a church and as families, God puts us in a very, very unique place to be generous with people and to welcome people, right? If we keep it simple, welcoming and being generous with people. We're going to go into a very unique passage. I'm going to just tip my hand here. It's a very unique encounter with the living God. A lot of people don't believe it. Some people want to dismiss it. It's going to take some eyes of faith. It's really significant that you see what happens in this passage because I think sometimes God is doing things in our lives, around our lives, and we miss it. We just miss it because we do not have spiritual eyes. We're not seeing through eyes of faith. So if you have your Bible, if you have a device, I want to encourage you. It's such a unique passage. Genesis chapter 18. Genesis chapter 18. Now I'm going to read just verses 1 to 10. And then we're going to come back and wrap up the passage 11 to 15. But I want to just dive in in this first section because the encounter is so powerful. Look what Moses wrote, verse 1, chapter 18 of the book of Genesis, and the Lord appeared to him. Let me just stop there. The Lord appeared to Abraham by the oaks of Mamre, it says, and he sat at the door of his tent in the heat of the day. 
He lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, three men were standing in front of him. When he saw them, he ran from the tent door to meet them and bowed himself to the earth. And he said, O Lord, if I have found favor in your sight, do not pass by your servant. Let a little water be brought and wash your feet and rest yourselves under the tree while I bring a morsel of bread that you may refresh yourselves. And after that, you may pass on since you have come to your servant. So they said, do as you have said. And Abraham went quickly into the tent to Sarah and said, quick, three seahs of fine flour needed and make cakes. And Abraham ran to the herd and took a calf, one that was tender and good. And he gave it to a young man who prepared it quickly. Then he took curds and milk and the calf that he had prepared and set it before them. And he stood by them under the tree while they ate. They said to him, Where is Sarah, your wife? And he said, She is in the tent. The Lord said, I will surely return to you about this time next year. And Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. And Sarah was listening at the door of the tent behind him. Father, <laughs> you, you show up through the person of your son in amazing ways. Your spirit is constantly doing things where your fingerprints are all over it, but God, we so easily miss it. We want to see more clearly. We want to believe with a more intentional faith. We want to have confidence, God, that you're at work in our lives. So bring this passage to us, God. Make it alive. Stir the affections of our heart. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So we read of Abraham, and some of you are already probably thinking about Abraham's hospitality here, right? That he was generous, and, and there was this nice, friendly welcome. And it's true. It's all there. We just, just read it. But let me bring out two points this morning, maybe a little bit that will surprise you, maybe not. But here's the first one, is that God stoops down to reveal himself. God stoops down to reveal himself. You could use the word condescends. God steps out of heaven in the pre-incarnate person of Jesus Christ. The pre-incarnate, pre meaning before Christ became flesh and dwelt among us. So he appears here in this passage and we see that God is doing something so gracious, so powerful. So we read this, but we got to remember we're in the story, a big story of Abraham's life. Now, if you read, read the book of Genesis from chapter 1 all the way to chapter 50, you're going to find not only that God talked to Abraham. We find that phrase, God talked to Abraham. But three times we find that God appeared to Abraham. And that's what we find here in this passage. So if you went back to Genesis chapter 12, verse 7, you'd see the Lord appeared to Abraham. Chapter 17, the chapter right before here, verse 1, God appeared to Abraham, but then the third time we find it right here is the Lord appeared 
to Abraham. I mean, what a generous, kind thing to do in light of the context, the promises. Become so significant when we put it into the historical context because what had happened? God came to Abraham and made him a great promise that he and his wife, Sarah, were going to have a child. That they would be, right, the, the beginning of a great nation, the nation of Israel. Well, you know the story. Even when God did that, they were already old. They were already into their 70s, well past. And when I say old, not that if you're in your 70s, you're old anymore. But we're talking about old for childbearing purposes, right? Not too many people have children. But then what happens? God makes his promise. And have you ever waited for a year for God to answer a prayer? Two years? 10 years? 15 years? How about 25? Because that's what's going on in their life. God had made this amazing promise. And God was now going to answer and fulfill His word. So let me tell you, God's made promises to you. He may not have fulfilled all of it yet. But if he told you he was going to do something, he's going to do it. He's going to fulfill it. We need to hold on for the ride. But now there's something that we don't know. If we get outside the book of Genesis, we're going to see that God appeared to Abraham a fourth time. In fact, it's really the first time. And it comes in Acts chapter 7. Let me just read it. Just listen to this. Stephen is preaching. All right, so Jesus, you got to get the context. Jesus lived his life. He died. He was buried. He was raised from the dead. The Spirit was given on Pentecost. So God is building his church now. Stephen is out preaching. And listen to the words of Stephen, chapter 7 of Acts, verse 2. Stephen said, brothers and fathers, listen to me. The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham while he was in Mesopotamia, before he lived in Haran. And he said to him, go out from your land and from your kindred and go into the land that I will show you. Now, why is that so significant? I want you to know why it's so significant. We're talking about Ur, a land filled, we would use the word paganism. Now, this is, we're talking about modern day Iraq. So Abraham is growing up in Ur. Historians tell us that there were over four thousand deities being worshipped in Ur. Four thousand. It was a messy world. When they worshipped, usually they would go to the prostitutes at the temples of these various gods. And they participated in that to please the gods and bring about fertility. That's where Abraham grew up. That's the context. And we could describe it more and more. Abraham's father was not exactly all that, right? 
It says in Scripture, in Genesis, or uh, Joshua 24, let me just read this. It says, And Joshua said to all the people, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Long ago your fathers lived beyond the Euphrates. Terah, the father of Abraham and of Nahor, and they served other gods. Then I took your father Abraham from beyond the river and led him through all the land of Canaan and made his offspring many. And I gave him Isaac. So you don't miss this. God appeared to Abraham there. Wait a minute, we got to go deeper. Listen to what one historian wrote. Abraham was reared in a family that believed it imperative to serve many gods. Now let me just pause here and I'll finish the quote in a minute. To serve many gods. Now when I was a kid, when I was maybe eight, nine years old, there were a group of us guys. And we'd get into a little bit of a, 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 what do you call, a spittle-like thing. My dad is bigger than your dad. My dad is stronger than your dad. My dad is more powerful than your dad. Do you ever do that, right? You get into these little kind of things, you know. Well, that's a little bit what was happening there. My God is bigger than your God. My God is more powerful than your God. My God will deliver more faithfully than your God. And they were always trying to outdo each other, but nobody really knew which God was more powerful, right? That, that, that's the context. 4,000 different deities. You had one in the city. You had one in your home. You had one in your neighborhood. So it goes on. Here's what the, goes on. Serve many gods that any sensible person would fear the gods. Any sensible person would fear these gods. You never really knew which one was bigger. Abraham's father would have believed that the world was swarming with gods and was full of demons ready to do one in. Terah would have believed the neighbors were capable of witchcraft, that his house had to be guarded by protective figurines, and that his household god needed daily food. So that's the context. Didn't matter how messy it was. So here's the picture. Put yourself in that. God rolls up his sleeves and he walks right into Abraham's life in all the mess, all the confusion. Our God doesn't shrink back from messy, dirty, confused lives. He walks right into where you and I are living today. This is Abraham. Sometimes in our children's stories, you know what they do? They, they almost paint this picture like Abraham is all that and that God chose Abraham because he was all that. That's not the way the Bible reads. The Bible reads is that Abraham grew up in paganism. His dad worshiped all these. And in that context, God enters his life and says, I got a plan for you. It's not after you clean up your life. It's before you clean up your life. And I need all of us to know this because life is hard. It gets messy. God walks in. He rolls up his sleeve. Before you clean up your life, before you do a thing, God says, I'm here. I'm showing up. I'm ready to take you somewhere if you're ready to go. And God appeared to Abraham in that context. 
how beautiful that is, how hopeful it is because of how messy this world is. Nowhere is Abraham described as a righteous man. Noah was described as a righteous man, not Abraham. Abraham, at best, in chapter 15 of Genesis, verse 6, you get the faith. Because of his faith, it was counted to him as righteous. But as a man, he was messed up living in paganism. And God stoops down. He condescends. We just sang about God being holy. I loved how Pastor Brad just lingered over this phrase, God is holy. There's no one like him. No one. He's so set apart. He's so perfectly pure. He's so good. I mean, just to be in his presence would rock you. And yet God condescends and reaches down and steps into the life. How powerful it is. Let me give you a word for that. It's a familiar word. Grace. Grace. You don't deserve it. Abraham didn't deserve it. There's nothing he did to earn it. God just said, I'm on the move. I'm doing something. And you're going to be a part of it. That's grace. And then Abraham responded to that grace initiative. So let me just bring this home for a moment. God is initiating with you right now. God's initiating. He's telling you, I don't care what your life looks like. I don't care what's going on. I got a plan for you. That's the grace that he's wanting to pour out. That's why I had to jump up when Brad got us singing about the goodness of God. I'm sitting there thinking, this is the grace of God. Now, When life gets its hardest, when it gets the most difficult, when it's the most painful, just call it out. Just say what it is. But I want to give you a little piece of counsel here. Start looking for the goodness of God in other areas. Otherwise, the crushing weight of this world and this life can squeeze faith out of you. And by looking at things where God is good, where God is at work, and you can testify, that's a powerful, powerful way to resist losing your faith. And so God initiates with this grace, and we respond by faith. And it takes faith when you're being crushed by life circumstances to say, God, but you were good over here. But God, you did this. But God, I'll never forget how you pulled me. Or God, you gave me, as we talked about, a second chance. Well, let's go back into the passage just a little bit more. Verse 10, I want to focus on this. It says in verse 10, the Lord said, I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. How beautiful it is. And Sarah was listening at the tent door behind him. Amazing, right? She's listening. She's 89 years old. She's thinking, I'm going to have a baby? I don't think so. And she starts laughing inside herself, as we'll see in just a moment. 
But it kind of reminds you about another woman, doesn't it, that we just celebrated. An angel appeared to Mary. One of my granddaughters, she says, Mary was baking. (laughs) The angel appeared. I don't know what she was baking, where she got that from, but that's good, right? But then a son came. We're talking about the pre-incarnate son here in this passage, and then the incarnate son comes when Jesus took on flesh and dwelt among us. Don't miss the parallels, please. Just like God entered into Abraham's world, Jesus entered into our world and took on flesh. He doesn't shrink back. God never does, never will. He won't in your life either. I don't care what's going on. He's going to enter in. And Christmas is about that God entering in. Well, we find out a little bit more. But let me just say, God expects, God expects Abraham and Sarah to believe his promises. God expects you and me to believe his promises. It's a big takeaway. Let's read the rest and see what's happening here. Because I want to ask a question before I read 11 to 15. We've been talking about the hospitality of Abraham, right? What happened? Sarah, go make some bread. He runs and he picks out the calf. He gets one of his servants in the household to prepare it. And it looks like Abraham's the one who's hospitable. But wait a minute. Maybe we're not really reading the passage correctly. Maybe someone's being more hospitable than even Abraham. Verse 11, Now Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in years. The way of women, (laughs) the way of women had ceased to be with Sarah. So Sarah laughed to herself, saying, After I am worn out and my Lord is old, shall I have pleasure? The Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh and say, Shall I indeed bear a child now that I am old? Is anything too difficult or hard for the Lord? At the appointed time, I will return to you about this time next year, and Sarah shall have a son. But Sarah denied laughing, saying, I did not laugh, for she was afraid. He said, No, but you did laugh. So let me just say it this way. People who see God follow in his steps. So when I ask the question, who's the hospitable one? My definition of hospitality is one I just found in Webster. You can find it anywhere. Anywhere. It's being generous and welcoming. So who was the generous one in the story? God. He was the one who was welcoming. He was the one who took the initiative and grace. He's the one who stooped down, who condescended to appear into Abraham's life. Then Abraham responded likewise. So when I say people who see God like Abraham, they follow in his steps. What was his steps? Hospitality. Abraham followed in hospitality. 
Abraham's hospitality extended to even God as it reciprocated on itself as a fitting response to the initiative of God. God entered Abraham's messy world. Let me just start pushing us towards a close here. We should enter a messy world. Are you with me? There's a lot of hurting people out in our world. There's a lot of people. So Pastor Brad started us living with Christ at the center of our daily lives and leaned into mission in a beautiful way. Now we've circled back. We are on a mission field to enter into people's lives. And it's going to take a generosity because it's hard. It's going to take a welcoming spirit. It's so, so critical. Well, how do we do this? I think it's best lived out in the church and in our families. Let's be very practical. On Sunday morning, when we gather, it's real easy to come in the doors and try to slip out. But do you know God's bringing people here that need a generous, welcoming hello? How can we help you? How can we serve you? That's a call on all of our lives. It's fitting. Just as God took the initiative to reach into your life, now God is wanting us to respond. And just like it boomeranged back for Abraham, just like it's, uh, Abraham reciprocated it, we should be reciprocating too. And we should be a generous, welcoming church to everybody that comes. And that can look a lot of different ways. Some of us have resources where we can bless people and maybe take them out to lunch, get to know them, roll up our sleeves and enter into the drama of their lives. Or maybe it's just spending time and taking the initiative to do that. Let me just say, too, in our families, it's the same thing. We need to show hospitality. We're guests, and guests come to our church, and we show hospitality in our homes. We bring people in. It can look a lot of different ways. I don't want to make it so narrow that it's got to be one way. But what I am saying is that we need to have a spirit of generosity, like we talked about a couple weeks ago, and a welcoming spirit of where God is at work. As I close, I just want to close with a story. Some of us are familiar with Rosario Butterfield. She was a left-leaning, feminist, liberal, uh, homosexual woman. She was, she was a professor at Syracuse University. She was on the welcoming committee of her Unitarian Universalist church. But it took a pastor and his wife to start rolling up their sleeves and reaching into her life. And some of us know the story is that over years, she finally responded, became a believer, and is now a Christ follower and left that whole life behind. Her tenured position at the university she left all of that. But let me read what she wrote in her book. It's called Secret Thoughts of an Unlikely Convert. She writes, The journey on which the Lord has taken me has been a great adventure. And the simple meal in a pastor's home was the first leg of this journey. 
before I ever stepped foot in a church, I spent two years meeting with Ken and Floyd on and off, studying scripture and my heart. Ken knew at the time that I couldn't come to church. It would have been too threatening, too weird, too much. So Ken was willing to bring the church to me. What a powerful story because God is bringing people into all of our lives. There's no one like this God. He stoops down and he wants us to stoop down. He wants us to condescend and he wants us to show the same kind of hospitality. But that's going to take God building our lives to become like him. Are you willing to let God do that? It's a posture of surrender. God, build my life so that I can be like you in condescending, stooping down, being generous and welcoming to all people. Father, thank you for the truth of your word. Thank you for the power of your word. Thank you, God, that we're here and able to study your word. We commit this to you, God, because we want to be a certain kind of people that certainly people that see you follow in your steps. And that's what we want to do. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.